0: I want to draw your attention, if I can, to a very familiar and seasonal verse of where we're in, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Then this census first took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. In the end, Luke's account of the Bible, there's two main accounts in scripture where we, where we see the birth of Jesus Christ recorded. Uh, Mark's version of the gospel kind of just jumps right into the middle of it. John's version of the bo- gospel goes all the way back before there was time when he talked about in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Matthew gives us a small clip of the birth of Jesus. We read it this morning when we began. But Luke's the one that really gives us a detailed, a more detailed account. We understand that Luke was not a first-hand witness to this event. Not to get too theological, but Luke is writing his gospel on a second-hand account. But Luke uses a word, and when we look at this story, there is a word that only Luke uses, and he uses it. Three times, especially here in chapter two, as he's given the story and and if you look at the story as a whole it's it, it it just appears to be a footnote, it just appears to be something that is just a part of the story to make the story have more life but But I want to draw you tent your attention today to that word that Luke uses and to the piece of uh, that the piece that luke references and focuses on when i say that word i'm holding back for a second because when i say that word a lot of you are going to automatically dismiss what i'm about to say or maybe you'll just think you know what i'm about to say but i want to challenge you to look at this portion of the birth of jesus christ a little differently because it was luke and luke alone that used the word manger we read it right here in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7, that he would be laid in a manger. Then he repeats this word again in verse 12, when he said, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And finally, he did it again in Luke chapter 16, uh, chapter uh, verse 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, when he said, Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And so Luke, as he's telling the story from the account he's giving, This manger really sticks out to him. When you look at the word manger, it's a very deep meaning. It just simply means to chew or eat. Very profound. Basically, it was the trough by which you would feed animals, it was the place where you would lay the, the, the hay or you would lay the corn or you would lay the meal that the animals were chewing on. It, it, that's what that's what the manger is. It's not a baby crib like you would think you would buy from the store nowadays. It's not a, a wonderful place where you would want to lay your baby. I remember The first time we brought our our firstborn home and every parent I believe experiences this uh, feeling in this moment. I remember when our firstborn was was just delivered and and the room is all filled with hustle and bustle and nurses and family and we're celebrating. and, and, And it really hits you the first time you have a child to me really hit me when everybody was gone. When, when, when grandparents had left, when aunts, aunts and uncles had left, when, when everybody had left, the doctors had finally left, and you, the nurses had kind of left you alone for a little while, and, and you're, you're in that room all by yourself with your wife or your husband, and that new thing, and it really hits you, wait a minute, that thing is, is relying on me to exist. And I remember the first night especially, and it took a while to get used to this, and maybe we're the only ones, but I remember the first night with our firstborn that my wife and I took turns just to watch her breathe to make sure she was breathing. We would lay there, and my wife would say, have you checked her lately? I'm like, it was five minutes ago. Check her again. I'd walk over, and I'd stare. And baby, sometimes it's hard to see if they're breathing, and you'd stare for a second, and you say, okay, she's still breathing. Five minutes later, is she breathing? I remember the first night. Now you're at the hospital, right? Something goes wrong at the hospital. You're okay. You got that button. You can push it. They'll come running. I've told the story, not to go back on it again, but our second child, she fell asleep on my chest, dropped her on the floor (laughs) in the hospital. Sadly, it's true. But thankfully, we were there at the hospital, so you you could handle those kind of things, but I remember the first night we got home. And we had been preparing for months for this moment. We had prepared for months. We had had gone out and we had purchased steel things. And we had got all this equipment and got ready. Because we were bringing a baby home. And and we had to make sure that baby had the the, the exact things necessary. And, And I remember that first night. At home, I can can distinctly remember the feeling that first night at home when you realize that this baby is in your care and if something goes wrong, there's no doctor to call, there's no nurse that's there. It's on you. And and that first couple of nights especially was stressed. But I can't imagine the the mental and emotional and and marriage counseling that would have been necessary that if we got home and, and I told my wife, listen, forget the crib. I've got this um, this this trough back in the back here. Let's bring that in here and use it. My wife would have said, "No way, can't use that." My baby's not going to be in that trough. I, I've got to have the proper 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 things for them to lay on—the softest of blankets, the the most cushioned of 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 pillows for them to lay on. But I want you to get that image. I know it's something that gets lost in the story. It's a cute. It's a cute scene when you look at when you when you drive by and you see a nativity it plays well in the story but i want you to think about that this wasn't an ordinary baby this wasn't just a baby like every other baby but this was the king of kings the lord of lords the creator of all mankind why did luke make such a big deal out of a manger What's the manger telling us? What's the message of the manger? And so for the next few minutes today, I want to talk to you about the message of the manger. That within that word and within that account, within that small, seemingly piece of furniture that is a footnote in the story of the birth of Jesus, it makes good for a Hollywood script. It sounds good, but there's a message in the manger. I want you today just to listen to me for a few moments and, and get white Christmas and jingle bells and, and, and all the things out of your head just for a moment. And I want you to hear what, what I believe God wants to tell you today and God wants to share with you. Whether it's your first time here or you come here every week, I believe that somewhere in the manger there's a message for you today. There's a message for you today, no matter your walk of life, no matter if you attend here on a regular basis, or this is your first time here, and you have no intention of ever coming back. There's a message in the manger. And I pray today by the power of the Holy Ghost that from now on, every time you see a manger scene, that you're reminded there's a message in the manger. The first thing that comes to mind when you look at the manger and the first message of the manger was that the manger was dirty. Can you imagine the haste that came from that moment when when they're when they're when they're trying to go around and she, and, and Mary's pregnant and she's waddling after the long journey of being on the, on that animal for the for the journey and she's getting there and she's pregnant and she's overly pregnant and they're going around knocking on doors and there's no room for them and finally in a haste they find this 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 the stable this 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 barn this this animal holding pen and so they go in there and, and they don't have time to decorate it They don't have time to put giraffe mobiles over the crib They don't have time to get the, the diapers ready And the bottle warmers ready They're in a hurry They don't have time to clean it They don't have time to, to make the environment sterile They don't have it in, in time And so the king of kings The lord of lords The savior of all mankind Was born in a dirty place Maybe that doesn't ring anything to you today, but it rings something inside my heart. Because you see, salvation is not found in the clean places, but salvation is found in the dirty places. God is not looking for your cleanliness today, but God is here today to find you in your dirty places. God is here today because you know what? Salvation is dirty. Salvation isn't clean. Salvation isn't all spick and span and come together today with gold plated organs and, and gold leafed all altars for you to fall on your knees. And oh holy God, you are so holy. Salvation is dirty, salvation is messy. Salvation is found in the dirty places. Go back if you would. I preached this a couple years ago in a series that I did. And I want you to look at it. We hear the story of Noah's ark, right? Whether or not you believe it or not. That's for you and your faith to determine. But the story of Noah and his ark that God told Noah, build an ark to save the world. And on that ark, I'm going to put some animals. We've talked about this. I've heard others preach about it. The thought's not new to me. Maybe it's not new to you. But can you imagine that your vehicle to save you had to have smelled to high heavens? I know there's been discussion, I've read it, I've I've, I've read the studies, I've read people to, to, to surmise that, well, there was ventilation systems in the ark. Really, it had one window. One window. Can you imagine how smelly that was? But you know what the beauty of the ark was? Is that when all of those animals did their business... It's a very technical term, did their business. All of their business had to have flown downhill. If you know anything about a boat, the more weight you put in the bottom, the more stable it is in the storm. Why do you think in the greatest storms of your life there's so much junk revealed? because it's the junk in your life that keeps you stable in the storm while God takes you through that so if you're here today and you're looking for a pristine, clean, easy life you're not going to find that in Jesus because Jesus is about the dirty places of your world Jesus is about finding you in your dirty places the places that nobody else knows about, the places your husband doesn't know about, the places your wife do not know about, the places your children don't know about, the places your, your, your Your parents don't know about. Those are the places that Jesus is looking for today. Start talking about this, people get nervous. Because in the world now where everything we do is exposed, you can't sneeze without it being tweeted, posted, or hashtagged. We're afraid that if I, if I come to God, He's going to expose all my business. But you see, the Bible gives us a very clear and concise statement. The Bible says, love covers a multitude of sin. You see, a true church that's built in love does not expose. But a true church that's built in love covers it's not looking to point out somebody's mistake it's looking to cover our mistake because when i look at you and i see your mistake i don't say well i'm better than you because i'm reminded i am a sinner saved by grace too Don't be fooled today when you look around this building and you look at people and they're dressed up and they look nice. You don't know where they came from. You don't know where they came from. I could tell you some stories today that may make you blush, but we stand here today with hands lifted. Why? But by the grace of God. Please don't let the suit fool you today. I stand here today, not in perfection, I stand here today in perfection, imperfection, because, but by the grace of God, so the first message of the manger is the manger was dirty. The second message of the manger was that the manger was planned. Now this is something that 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 is hard for us to get our head around because in some ways we look at. The manger is a a misfortune or a fluke. But the manger was planned. Because I want you to go back just 700 years. The prophet Micah prophesied that there was going to be a baby born in Bethlehem. That their baby was going to be born for at least 700 years and we know that God sees the end from the beginning. So from the beginning of time, God had an opportunity to plan out this event precisely every moment, every second of this event could be planned out. It makes for a good story. Brother Tino, it makes for a real good dramatic Telling of the story that here's this woman pregnant. She's on her, this animal, for for miles and miles, and they get there, and and they're knocking on every door, and and they just can't seem to find any room for the inn. And and in desperation, they find this this stable, and oh, they find this manger on the corner, dusty and and broken, and they pull it over, and oh, it was just a beautiful story of, of how you use the resources around you to make the best of life. That's not the message of the manger. The message of the manger is that every single thing was planned out exactly the way God intended it. You and I, if if we were going to mark our own birth, not unless the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but if I was going to mark my own birth, the last thing I would have done is have my wife take a journey at nine months pregnant on the back of an animal if I was going to have her do that, I would have had her enter into Bethlehem to cheers and accolades and the best medical people greeting her at the city gate and, and saying, we have a wonderful bed prepared for you and we have all the necessary things for you to have this baby. I wouldn't have shut her out from all the hotels and motels. And of all places, I wouldn't have planned for it to be a manger. I mean, why wouldn't have God spoken to some, some, some craftsmen Don't forget, Joseph was a carpenter. Why wouldn't have God spoken to Joseph and said, Joseph, you're going to have a baby. Build a crib. Make it two cubits long by one cubit wide. Cover it, therefore, with pitch. He did that with the ark, but with the manger. He didn't tell Joseph that. He didn't tell Joseph that. Can you imagine from a human perspective, Joseph the carpenter who was, who was used to crafting fine pieces of furniture had to go to the humility that his child, that his wife was having, that he was going to bring into this world, had to be put in a makeshift crib? And then to think that it was planned that way? And, and if that's not big enough, why didn't God choose somebody that lived in Bethlehem why choose this girl named Mary that lived way up in this hill town up in the hills of Nazareth why choose her not married single and on top of that, choosing to be illegitimate. Choosing to come in the world with a stain on his head. Choosing to put his own mother with that kind, of, that kind of accusation in her life. All of this was not by happenstance. It was all planned. And then, the Bible says that he was conceived in Nazareth. When the angel showed up to Mary. But the problem is the prophecy said had to be Bethlehem. Why didn't God just speak to Joseph in a dream? Now Joseph, thus saith the Lord, get your wife and go to Bethlehem and wait for further instructions. Why? He told him this dream about them needing to go to Egypt. Why not do that? Or better yet, why not have an aunt or an uncle or somebody call and say, hey, Joseph, your family needs you you got to get to Bethlehem. Why go through all the trouble of, of, of putting into motion with the largest empire on the face of the earth, put into motion all of the necessary cogs in the wheels that had to make that event happen to get one little girl from Nazareth to Bethlehem? I want you to think about this for a second. Do you think, now, now go back and read the story, make sure I'm correct on this. The decree went out from Caesar Augustus, okay? O Caesar. Now, I mean, maybe you've not studied it a little bit, but let's look at a map for just one second if we can. If you look at a map, and I challenge you, if you, don't look, if you never looked at a map, go look at one. It's fascinating. Maps are awesome. Where is Jerusalem. Where is Bethlehem? Where is Judea? Where is Nazareth? It is on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Miles inland. Caesar is hanging out in Rome. How long, even with the finest of riders and the finest of horses, how long do you think it would take to get a message from Rome to Judea? It wasn't a picking up the phone. It wasn't an email. It wasn't a tweet. It wasn't a text. So that means how long in advance did God impress upon this man to bring in his counsel and say, hey, hey, guys, we need to do a a, a census all across our empire to find out what taxes. Well, I don't know, Caesar. I don't know if that's going to work. Well, we're going to get it done. How are we going to do it? Well, here's how we're going to do it. How long does that take to plan? How many months of planning? You ever throw in a birthday party? Just a birthday party with 20 people. That takes like six months. My goodness. We were trying to, my wife... My wife, my wife and I, our daughter just celebrated her 10th birthday, and, and, and we didn't, it was a small little party. And man, all the planning it went into a party. We're not talking about a census across the nation with all the technology we have. We almost had a presiden- presidency decided on dimpled chads, dangling chads. You don't remember that? Al Gore and Bill and and, and, and George Bush went to court fighting over dimpled chads. And the Supreme Court had to weigh in on a dimpled chad and a dangling chad because with all the technology in play, us great Americans had dimpled chads and dangling chads with all this. Can you imagine what was necessary To get this going. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that God had not only this plan from beginning. But he put the plan in action long before Mary even got pregnant. That's the hardest thing sometimes about God. Is is that we're, we're looking to see if he's working. And we don't see it. But to know that he's working. We sang a song last week at Antioch United. It simply says, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I can't see it, he's working. He never stops working. He never stops working. Even when I don't see it with my eyes, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. The manger was planned. Can I honestly tell you today, and I'm going to tell this to some of you, and some of you are going to absolutely think I have fallen off a spaceship today and have landed down here after being interrogated by some alien species to say this. But do you know from the beginning of time, this moment was planned? Before the foundations of this world, God knew that you were going to be sitting here today. You say, well, I was invited here. I'm, I'm not telling you what God had to do to get you here. I'm telling you he knew you were going to be here. Yeah, right. And with that being said, and no, here, it, we get a little sticky here for a moment, but allow me to get into the, into, into the muck of your life for a moment, that he knows every single detail of what's going on in your life and nothing shocks him. Do you mean to tell me God is allowing all this stuff in my life? He's allowing this and He's allowing that. I got great revelation for you today. Yes. Well, that's hard to do. Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God allowing that? Why did God allow this person to die? Why did God allow this to leave me? Why did God allow do this to do this and all that? I'm not here to answer the specific questions of why. All I'm here to tell you is God has his hand on your life. And he wanted you to hear that in the manger, because if all things could have been planned out, the birth of Jesus should have been a a choreographed symphony. But it seemed like a hastened hodgepodge, and let's just throw a baby in a manger. So the message of the manger is it's dirty. The message of the manger, it was planned. The third message of the manger, it was a sign. You see, when the angels showed up to the shepherds, what did they say? They said to the shepherds, unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is the Christ, is born. To believe this and bear witness, they would need a sign. And the angel gave them the sign, and he said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see, I don't think swaddling clothes was a big deal. I'm sure plenty of babies had swaddling clothes. We, when, when my daughter was born, there was this nurse. She was a master at putting a baby into this swaddle Indian headdress. Thing. It was amazing. She could take the hospital blanket and she could like put that thing perfectly and swaddle her where she couldn't move. We, we tried forever to try to duplicate her perfection. We could never do it. I don't think swaddling clothes was unique to anybody. But he said, hey, when you go look for this baby, don't look for the swaddling clothes. The sign to you that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, the manger will be your sign. Wait a minute. The thing that you think is the greatest piece of shame to the whole story of the Christ, the Son of God, the the King of kings is laying in a manger. The thing that we would think would be the lowest of all the story became the greatest sign to the shepherd seeking for a king. Because you see, there's beauty and imperfection. We try to run from our... Imperfections. We try to hide our imperfections. We do things to cover up our imperfections, but we understand that it's what makes us who we are. Because ultimately, we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world. If you think you're perfect here today, you're just fooling yourself. Every person in here today, there's something about you. That you don't like. There's something about you inside that you don't like. And as much as you've tried to change it. It's still there. And some things God leaves in us. Because he leaves that imperfection in us. Because that imperfection is a sign to us that we need God. So, can I tell you today that your imperfection exists? I'm not going to stay on this point forever, but tell you today every single person in here today has imperfections. Your great grandmother has imperfections. I always talk to people well, my granny, she's the sweetest person I know. I said this before you didn't know granny when she was 18. I know Granny's sweet now, and she's like, hey, ba- hey, baby, hey, honey, I'm so glad to see you. She's squeezing your cheek. You don't know Granny when she was 18. Come on now. Don't let Granny fool you. You, knew, you know Granny could shake a leg when she was 18. She's mellowed out now. She could break a hip, but when she was 18, she could shake a leg. It's hard for us to see when we see our, when great, you know, our people. I just don't know how my great Jesus, sweetest, she is the sweetest woman now. You don't know how she was. Because you know why? Imperfection. And here's the problem. The other problem is we, we, we judge ourselves by what we perceive to be others' perfections. We say, well, they're like this, and so I, I'm, 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 I'm no good because I perceive. But really, we all have our imperfections. Why? Because number two, imperfections remind us. What do they remind us of? They remind us we're not God. So what you're, what you're running from is the best thing that's going to keep you saved. Because it reminds you every day when you look in that mirror, you're not God. You're not God. Because why? Imperfections drive you. What do they drive you? They drive you two places. Imperfections either drive you to God or they drive you away from God. Your choice. Your imperfections are going to drive you to God that you finally admit, God, I can't do it and if you don't do it through me and in me, it won't get done. Or the imperfections drive you away from God where you want to prove the world who you are. So I'm not saying this is the case in here but you see the guy who's driven for success, stepping on whoever he wants to step on, pushing his way to the top, why? So because if he can get to the top, he can somehow feel better about himself. It doesn't matter who he hurts along the way, because there's something in him, there's an imperfect thing in him. He's trying to fill. But ultimately, it's those imperfections that allow us to find God's strength, because Paul said it this way: "When I am weak, he is." Strong. So when you look at that manger the next time, I want you to see that manger and I want you to think it was dirty, it was planned, and ultimately it's a sign. It was a sign to the shepherds, but it's a sign to me. That God's not looking for my perfection. That God's taken me in my imperfections. If you're here today and this is your first time, can I just break the news to you in case you're wondering? This is not a perfect church. You know why? Because no true church that exists is perfect. There may be churches out there that are perceived to be perfect, but that's because they're not the true church. The true church is imperfect. Why? Because the true church gathers everybody. From the top to the bottom, from the left to the right, from the white to the black to the yellow to the green, from the poor to the rich, from the educated to the uneducated. That's a perfect church. Because truly a perfect church is an imperfect church. So the manger was dirty. The manger was planned. The manger was a sign, but when heaven looked down and saw the manger, the manger was glorious. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. 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 It was a glorious thing when that manger Was there. And that baby was there. That wasn't just another baby. But that was the King of kings. The Lord of lords. The Alpha. The Omega. The beginning and the end. The creator. The first. The last. The same. Yesterday. Today. And forever. It was glorious. How many things in your life today? When you paint that picture in your mind. You look at the manger, When you really look at that? It would not have been glorious. We went to Pennsylvania a couple of days ago on a family trip to Lancaster. We were going to an event there. When we got out, no offense to those from Pennsylvania, but I could close my eyes and I will be able to tell you when we get to Pennsylvania. It's not because the Holy Ghost is telling me. When you get to Pennsylvania, especially Lancaster, you can feel it in your bones because it's the repulsion from the smell that is creeping in your nose. There's a reason why Milton Hershey chose Pennsylvania for his chocolate factory because he was looking to produce milk chocolate. And to get milk, you got to have cows. But the problem with cows is they stink. We were were, were at a camp, not, not, not... There's a camp that we go to in the summer, a church camp we go to in the summer. And it was during a period of time. My wife and I were doing a lot of running. And so we would go running in these little trails and, you know, they call them roads, but they're like trails in Pennsylvania. And one of the roads we'd we'd run by, it was a cow pen, holding pen, where they, I mean, it was like probably 150 cows. And I got to tell you, when you're coming back after about three or four miles of running, and your your chin is dragging the ground, and you're just breathing and gasping for air, and then you hit that smell. Whew. Whatever fatigue you had, suddenly energy kicks in because you are running as fast as you can to get past that smell. Can you imagine being in that stable with stuff all around, mess, cow patties? I'm just going to lay it out like it is. Come on. it's just We're all big people here. Cow patties. It's like someone says, let's make like a cow patty and hit the trail. Cow patties. Everywhere. The smell, the stench. It wasn't a pretty sight. But because you're looking at the wrong thing, you're too busy looking at the mess instead of looking at the man inside the mess. When you look at a picture of the cross, we often see a picture of the cross. Maybe you have one hanging in your house, and I'm not here to knock it. It's between you you can have the picture if you want to. I'm not saying take it off, but when you look at the picture of the cross, it's always so beautiful. It was always so glorious. You have Jesus hanging there and he looks so glorious, and there's always perfect light behind him and he's lit up so wonderfully and we look at that picture and there's such a beautiful picture but when you really read the message of the cross the message of the cross was messy he wasn't laying there he wasn't on that cross and beautiful and outstretched arms with the sun the clouds were dark and the earth was was quaking the earth was shaking he was naked He was shamed. He had blood dripping from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He had his side pierced. Everything was in agony. If you and I would have walked by that cross and we didn't know who that man on that cross was, we would have looked up there with great horror. We would have told our kids, don't look up there. You're going to have nightmares. Don't look at that. That's not something you want to see. Keep your eyes ahead. I don't want you to look at that because you would have seen this man in complete agony where his face had been broken and beaten to the point of of being unrecognizable thorns driven in his head, blood dripping down, his face had been beaten, his back had been whipped and plowed like a field his legs were 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 shattered and, and, and cut and bruised and he is sitting there in agony and every breath takes all of his energy and the agony of that it wasn't some beautiful picture that's hung on, a, on, a, on an art museum that shows the beauty. It was ugly. It was messy. And on top of that, he had the shame of, of, of being hung before the world naked for all the world to see. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Right, right. That was the cross. Right, right, right. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't romantic. It was messy. And when I look at my life, I see mess. I see, I see junk. I see what my mistakes have done to me. I see what my mistakes have done to others. I look at my life and I see mess. I see stuff shattered and broken. But if I would look farther inside the mess, I would see a cross. I would see a manger. I would see a Jesus standing inside the mess. Not bothered. He doesn't walk in here today looking at you going, Oh, oh, I could I can save. Oh, I could save you. Oh, I don't know if I can save them. Oh, I can save them. I, I don't I don't know if I can save you. God's not ashamed today of your mistakes. He doesn't run from your mistakes, he runs to your mistakes. He's not ashamed today of what you've done and where you've come from. That doesn't scare him. In fact, that compels him. Because he is not scared away by mess. He's drawn to you because of your mess. It's your mess is the reason why he went to a cross. It was your mess. Was the reason why he hung on a tree. It was your mess. Is the reason why. Of all the places he could have been born. He chose to be born in a manger. In a stable. Inside of a mess. Not for his own glory. But for you and me. To send us a message from a manger. That says no matter who you are. And where you come from. I see you. I know you. I love you. Day we could sit here and we could we could compare notes we could talk shop we, we could we, we could say well I've done this but I've done this I've been here but I, well, I've been here but you know what's the beauty about this is God doesn't compare do you think as he was being whipped, he they whipped him three times and whipped him four times. And he said, okay, that was good. Four was good for Joe Bickley, but whipped me again for Joel Wright. Okay, five was good for Joel Wright, but whipped me again for so-and-so. And six for you, and seven for you, and eight for you, and nine for you, and ten for you. And, oh, you, you really messed up. That's 12. He didn't do that. Because God is not scared today by your mistakes. He's not scared today by your failures. He's not scared today by your shortcomings. Such a stain on churches nowadays. Because most people look at church for only the perfect people. Church is the place where only the perfect people go. But, oh, my friend, you have been told the wrong thing you are not coming to a place with perfect people. We're here today because we are imperfect people. We're just to admit here today that we're imperfect. Don't be fooled. Yeah, I'll get it. Let me just break it down to you. I won't point any fingers today, but there are some in here that hold themselves to a perfection. That's only because they're trying to hide the fact of their imperfections. So don't judge us by the way they are, that they walk around here like they got it going on. Can I just tell you for the rest of us, we know who we are. We know where we came from. And we know here today we stand but by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So don't judge the rest of us today because we might have a few in here that might put themselves on the pedestal of holiness and perfection. Because there's a lot of us in here today, most of us in here today, we know who we are. We know where we came from. We would know what we would be like. I'd at least get three amens on that. We know what we would be like without Jesus. So when you see us worshiping and you go, boy, they're a little crazy in their worship. I don't know if I could worship like this. You know why we worship the way we do? It's because when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me. It's hard for me to sit there and not move. It's hard for me to sit there quietly. It starts in my toes. It works its way up. Sometimes I've got to clap my hands. Sometimes i got to wave my hands. Every once in a while I've got to leap and dance and shout. Not because I want to be different. It's because of who he is. So if you see us worshiping, today, you go, oh, I don't know if I can worship like that. Oh, honey, when you find the cross of Calvary and you find the blood of Jesus and you get washed in the blood of Jesus and all the stain and mess and junk of your life is washed away. And for the first time, you feel freedom. It changes you. It changes you. It changes you. I remember this story, and I'm, I'm done. I know we got cookies and cocoa. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I remember this story. This guy, this was years ago. He came in. This dude was a mess. He was a mess. He was a mess. And we, we, it was a moment like this. God was speaking, and this dude was a mess. I knew a little bit about him. I didn't know much about him. And I could see him in the back. He was, he was in the back right corner of where we were at the time. And uh, I could see him. He was trembling. When it was all said and done, I, I walked back to him. And uh, I began to talk to him and about the love of Jesus, about God wanting to forgive. And I could tell he was wrestling with this idea because, because of what he had done and, and, and all the stuff that he was kind of calculating. How can God forgive me? And all that. He was going through this list of all the stuff. And, and, I, and I didn't ask him. I didn't say, oh, so tell me, what have you done? I'm not, a you know, you don't have to confess your sins to me. I'm, I'm You can do that other places, but here we don't do that. I don't need to know your business. I got enough of my own business to take care of. I don't need to be the one part in your business. So so I I, I just talking to a little bit and I could tell he was wrestling with this idea that that God could truly forgive him. And and and, and I'm talking about this and talking about this and, and, and I'm telling him, you know, God can forgive. And all of a sudden I don't know what it was. It wasn't me, it was God that did it. And finally, you know, the Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. There's a scripture that says, you know, that, that God, that, that he stands at the door knocking. I could tell that God was knocking on his heart. And finally, he just, he finally must have opened the door. Because the moment the light bulb went off in his mind, and he realized, God forgive me. He said, where can I get baptized? I said, well, right back here, we have a baptism. He said, let's go. I've never had somebody lead me to the baptismal tank. I've always led people. I've always said, you know, come on over here. No, this guy went running. I'm chasing him. No, true story. I'm chasing him. Well, usually, we don't have the fancy doodads here, but we we, uh, we were at the the building in Arnold. We have changing rooms, and it's very nice and all that. So I was going to give my normal speech, you know. Okay, would you go in here, and you can get a robe, and you can take your clothes off, and you know, we don't want you to get your clothes wet, and yada, yada, yada. So he's like, I want to get baptized. I'm ready for God to forgive me. He takes off. I'm running after him. No joke. Literally, he's like full speed ahead. I'm chasing him. The dude goes straight in. Clothes, shoes, socks, jeans, long shirt, jacket, phone, and wallet in his pocket. Jumps in the baptismal. Stands there and said, let's go and do this. I'm being very spiritual. At the time, I said, do you have your phone in your pocket? He said, don't worry about it. I'll get another one tomorrow. <laughs> Do you have your wallet in your pocket? He said, don't worry about it. I'll try I'll it out. You don't want to take any clothes off. He said, no, I'm ready to be forgiven right now. And fully clothed with all that, shoes, tennis shoes, socks, everything. I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, I baptize you in Jesus' name. He went in that water. It was like a catapult. It shot him out of that water. He stood there, jeans soaking, shirt soaking, jacket soaking, lifted his hands, and the first words out of his mouth were. I am forgiven would you stand with me today that's the message of the manger the message of the manger is it's dirty that's okay the message of the manger is it's planned God's in charge the message of the manger today is it's a sign that there's a king a savior a messiah And there's a message in the manger that is glorious. What are the last scriptures to read here today? Luke chapter 2, verse number 10 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There's no greater joy. This is not an invitation to join a church. This is not an invitation for you to join here. We would love for you to come here. I think we're a pretty cool group of people to hang out with and go and, and, and walk your journey with Jesus with. But you don't have to go here to be saved. But you know what? There's no greater joy that you'll ever find in your life than finding Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many years now? Don't we'll take 10 off. 40 years. Debbie Owens here. Came from the mean streets of New York City, disco dancing, whoop whoop whoop. Don't let her fool you now. She's a sweet lady, but oh boy, I bet you back in the day, she she getting it. Oh, you forgive me later. Forty years. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't. This woman, you watch her every week. She comes in. I always like to pick on her because she's an inspiration. You'll see her smile, lifted hands, tears flowing down her face, loving Jesus. You go, oh, my goodness, her life is so perfect. Her life is so wonderful. You didn't know that just a couple months ago she met her dad for the very first time in her life after almost 60-plus years, and she met him. Wait. Wait. She met him by seeing his face on his obituary. She didn't get a chance to meet him by getting a chance to shake his hand and hug him and say, Dad, I love you. Nice to see you. The first time she saw her dad's face was on the picture of the obituary at his funeral that she didn't even go to, but someone sent her and said, Hey, Debbie, here's what your dad looks like. You'll know the fact that years ago now, six, seven years ago, early Sunday morning I get a call from my mother gave me the news that rocked our world that Debbie's daughter Ramona had suddenly passed away and I walk up there inside that hospital room inside there and see a mother dealing with that sorrow but just a few days later you'd see her hands lifted smile on her face loving Jesus So when you look at somebody like this today and you go, well, she's sitting on the platform. She has just got it all going on. She got everything. I'll never be like that. Oh, you have no clue. You say, well, you all you Christians, you just have perfect lies. Oh, boy, you have no clue. You have no clue. So when you see us today, don't let us fool you. Because if you see us today, you're not seeing us. You're really seeing Jesus. Because if anything you see that's good today is not because of me or anybody else, the only thing you're seeing good today is Jesus. Because at one point in all, we all lifted our hands at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus! Father, we see you today. You have, your love has been in this place in such a wonderful, beautiful, sweet way. God, you see every single person in this room. You planned this moment from the foundation of all of this. Before we even had an earth, you planned this moment. You see everything. You see our highs. You see our lows. You see our thoughts. God, you even see the tears that we cry in silence The stains on the pillows from nights in silent agony. You see all of it. And God, you desire to reveal yourself in this room to those who desire to know you. I pray today, Jesus, that as those in this room cry out for you, that in response back to their cry, that you would reveal yourself to them. In a way like never before. Because I know you desire to know us. Even greater than we desire to know you. I want to do this here before we close. I it's, and I, I'm done. I really am. I'm just. But can you just do this. And I know this may be a little awkward. But just work with me here. Would you look to the person on the right or left to you. And maybe grab them by the hand. Or put your hand on their shoulder. And I know you may not know them. But I want you to pray. And I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to say God. Show them who you are like they've never seen before. Just pray that right now. All you, It's very simple. Just say, God, show yourself to my friend. Show yourself to my neighbor that's sitting next to me. I don't even know their name, God, but I pray today that you would show yourself to them like never before. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak now in Jesus' name that the spirit of revelation, the spirit of hunger would be released in every heart and every life in this room. By the power of the word, by the authority of the name, we speak it in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, let the seed of the word be planted in the hearts of those in this room. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. One more time, would you clap your hands and let's give God praise today for His goodness and His mercy. Amen. Praise God. We're so thankful that you're here today with us. And we would love for you to stay just a few minutes. In just a moment, we're going to reveal what's been hiding behind the sheet over here. All the wonderful treats. Don't forget coffee, water, hot cocoa. All the fixings back there for you. We'd love for you to take that. Please don't rush out of here. Take a moment. Hang out with us. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. God bless you. Merry Christmas to everyone here. Happy holidays and a safe and prosperous new year. Please come back and worship with us. God bless you today. Amen.